You know, there are a lot of uh, famous neighbors in, in pop culture. For example, who is the neighbor of Dennis the Menace? Remember who that is? Mr. Wilson. That's right. Uh, for a different generation, remember I Love Lucy? Ricky and Lucy Ricardo, but who lived upstairs? Fred and Ethel Mertz. Tim the Tool Man Taylor, also a man we never really saw, but we heard a lot of over the fence, the man named Wilson. And then one of my favorites when I was a kid, come home from school and watch Bewitched, who was a nosy neighbor? Mrs. Kravitz. This morning, this story is about neighbors, about how, who are our neighbors and how we are to love them. And it's a powerful story told by Jesus, a very familiar story that we all know, the story of the Good Samaritan. And like all great stories, there are several powerful themes. There's, there's crime and there's violence, there's injustice, there is racial discrimination, there's hatred, there's neglect, there's a shocking display of apathy, an unexpected hero, and a powerful display of love and mercy. Now, because the story of the Good Samaritan is so familiar to us, sometimes we hear it and we think we've got it all figured out. We've heard it all before. But sometimes the truth that is hardest for us to apply is the truth that's right underneath our nose. The hardest thing to do sometimes is the thing we already know. And so this morning we come to this story told by Jesus, found in Luke chapter 10. Now, whenever you look at Scripture, it's always helpful to look at what comes before and what comes after to kind of get the context and why the... In this case, why Luke put the story where he did. And right before this in Luke chapter 10, Jesus does something very interesting. He sends out 72 disciples. He sends them out on a mission into the world. He tells them the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are many, many people out in the world who need to hear the good news that I am preaching and bringing. But he says the workers are few. And then right after that, Luke includes the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, why did he do that? Well, I think perhaps why he did that is because service and care and compassion and mercy, love expressed through good works, must always go hand in hand, must always follow a call to mission and a call to evangelize. You see, we cannot just announce the good news. We have to live it out. So how are we to be good neighbors, to live out the good news to those around us? Often we think of being a good neighbor as being someone who maybe watches the house and picks up the paper and waters the flowers while they're gone on vacation. Or maybe having them over for a barbecue to kind of get to know each other. Or maybe just being careful about how loud the parties are or being appropriately friendly but not too nosy. How are we to be good neighbors? Let's get started by looking at Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, and we're going to jump around a little bit and look at some of this and, uh, and look at something we can pull out of it for our own applications this morning. Now, if most of you were like me, when I grew up, I had a curfew. How many of you had curfews? How many of you still have curfews? Maybe a few of you. Okay, I still have a curfew. Nancy's imposed it on me. So, um, But if you're also like me, you probably didn't particularly care for curfews. My dad was really strict, and so usually it was like, I don't know, eight o'clock or something like that. It was pretty bad, but not really wasn't. But as I got older, at, when I was a senior, it was midnight on the weekends. The rest of the time, it was 1030. Now, besides that, I, what I really remember about the curfews was the discussions that dad and I would have about said curfew, the social contract that we had. And it usually boiled down to semantics, the definition of the curfew. What exactly did it mean? 
Maybe you know how the routine went. Something like this. It's 12.20. Where have you been? Oh, is it that late? I, I left Jeff's house at 5 till 12. Well, Jeff lives 25 minutes from here. Or something like this. What time is it, son? Well, it's, it's 12.30. Didn't we agree you'd be home by midnight? Yes. But, but I was home by midnight. I got a, ro- a ride home from Jeff, and we've been out in the driveway talking for the last 30 minutes. In our conversation for this morning, this text, we see Jesus in a conversation that is somewhat similar to this. It involves an expert in the law, and it involves Jesus. Take a look. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, already we can see that this guy's motives are, are not pure. He's asking the question not because he's looking for truth. He's just trying to trap Jesus and make him look bad, trying to set him up and trip him and make him look bad in front of other people. But the question he asks is right on. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is the most important question out there. And as Jesus so often did in the scripture and still often does today, Jesus answers a question with another question. He puts the onus on us to, to look inside ourselves or to give us an answer that we already know. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read the law? Well, this guy was an expert in the law. How do you read it? And he answers correctly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, he knew it well because he quotes both verses out of the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Jesus congratulates him and says, do this and you will live. Apparently, this is not what the lawyer, the expert in the law, was looking for. And so he says, um, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? So he, he starts out trying to trip up Jesus. Jesus answers back. He surprises him with the answer, puts it back on him, and he tries to argue semantics. Define exactly what is meant by my neighbor. In other words, is it the person who lives next door to me? Is my family my friends? The people I go to synagogue with or church with? Is it the people I go to school with or work with? People I know well? My ethnic group? People of the same religion? Just who exactly is my neighbor? Well, Jesus, again, does not get caught up in the expert in the law's attempts to cloud the issue and deflect. And Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And in the story, Jesus makes the point that the question that he should have been asking is not only who is my neighbor, but more specifically, how do I be a good neighbor? How do I love my neighbor as myself? And in the story, the Good Samaritan shows us how. You know, many people say that attitude is everything, and while that can be debated in certain circumstances and certain levels, our attitude in life is very, very important, isn't it? And no place is our attitude more important than how we view people and how we treat people. And in this story, we see different attitudes that people in the story have towards this poor, beaten man who's been left by the side of the road. First, there's the expert in the law. For him, who is my neighbor was just a matter for discussion and debate. It was theoretical. It was an attempt for him to deflect responsibility. You know, a while back I heard a, a, a show a, a, on public radio, a program which was addressing the issue of 
the problems and challenges we have with an increasing world population. And they brought on speaker after speaker and expert after expert, and they were quoting all sorts of statistics and trends. And, and I've got to tell you, it was kind of depressing and a little bit overwhelming. And you began to get the sense that it was just too big a problem and that there was little, really literally nothing we can do to stop the inevitable. But towards the end of the program, the mediator closed by addressing that feeling I was having. We must remember to not let the sheer vastness of the situation justify leaving it at the discussion level. We must deal with specifics. We must put human faces at the fore. And so our expert in, in, in the law in Luke was at the discussion level. He wanted to deal with generalities. And so with the second question, who is my neighbor? He is he's simply trying to justify himself, his lack of involvement. He's trying to deflect responsibility, limit his obligations to those around him. Because if it didn't get too personal and too specific, then he wouldn't have to do anything, wouldn't have to deal with it, wouldn't have to deal with the homeless or the widowed or the orphaned or the immigrant or the drunk or the jerk or the Gentile or the Samaritan or the person not like him. He preferred to keep it there where he wouldn't have to know names or faces, real people, real needs, real hurts. But Jesus does not let him off the hook that easily. Does not let us off the hook that easily, and Jesus tells the story. The second attitude in our passage is taken by the robbers. They see the man coming down the road. They see him as an opportunity. They see him as someone who is there to be exploited. And so they do this. Verse 30. They strip the traveler of his clothes. They beat him. They take his money. And they leave him half dead on the side of the road. You know, when we lived in Chicago in the early 90s, Nancy and I, we, uh, when we were in grad school, um, we'd often go downtown. It was, it was really fun to do that. But we'd often come across homeless people. And, and it was, it's, it's an awkward situation. You don't know quite how to help them. Sometimes we give them a little bit of money or change. A couple times I actually took them to McDonald's and bought them lunch. A lot, you just couldn't respond to everybody. And often you just kind of walk by, kind of, kind of say hi and kind of, you know, keep moving and maybe throw up a prayer for them. It was an overwhelming situation. But the sad part is that many of them looked like they were late teens or early 20s. People who had probably run off or been abandoned. Many of them being exploited by by bad people, using them for drug trafficking or prostitution. These individuals were viewed as objects to be used, to be exploited, not someone to be loved and cared for. Now, before we jump to any generalities about the big city and the issues in the big cities, we should take a look around our community. There are many, many people suffering, hurting, with great needs, and things that break God's heart should break our hearts as well and move us to action. The third attitude in our passage is taken by the religious men, the Levite and the priest. And their attitude was, I'm too busy, it's not worth my time, I can't stop. Now to Jesus here, this would have been a shocking turn of events because they would have been the most likely heroes in the story. They would have known the law well, They'd have been righteous men, and they would surely act justly, but they didn't. And they took the attitude that a lot of us can do, and I've, I've been guilty of it. They were just too busy. They couldn't stop. They could not be bothered. They were probably on their way to a to synagogue or, 
or to some meeting. The problem was not that they, they did good, but the problem was they were being selective on who they did good to when, and when they did it. Sad and tragic. A man lying there, but you can't help everybody, can you? Right? Now, they would have had some nice sounding excuses. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho was notoriously dangerous. Crime was frequent. The man lying there, it could have been a trap. He could have had accomplices laying in the bushes, ready to jump. They didn't know him personally. Maybe he deserved it. Maybe he was a criminal. And so they decided that he wasn't worthy of their help. It was too risky, and they move on by. The fourth attitude taken in Jesus' story is that of the innkeeper. We're doing a little speculation here, but the the innkeeper saw the wounded man as an opportunity, a customer, someone who would benefit him. He would take care of him and help out as long as he got his fee. He did not mind getting involved as long as he could profit from it. He was all for doing good as long as doing good was good for, for business. And the bottom line was in, 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 this, in this circumstance, he viewed the relationship with the wounded man as simply, bottom line, a transaction. The fifth attitude is the Samaritans. And in Jesus' story, of course, we know the Samaritan is the hero. Now, as you probably know, Samaritans were outcasts in Jesus' time. There was deep hatred between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews saw themselves as the true descendants of Abraham, the chosen ones of God. And the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds who had intermarried and compromised with Canaanites and other peoples and other races. And we can see, even in the expert of the law, his response in the story, this, this Jewish expert in law, his response after the story was done, Jesus asked him, who was the true neighbor? Who showed, who showed justice? Who was kind and showed mercy? And he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He simply says, the one who showed mercy. The Samaritan's attitude was, the man was worth the risk. He saw him as a, as a not a wounded man in, in, in a risky situation. He, he saw him as a human being who was worth caring for and, and loving. And he was worth somebody who was worth risking. And he showed love and mercy to a, a Jewish man who probably would have avoided him like the plague if they had met on the road. And he was never publicly honored or rewarded. He spends his own money, two pieces of silver, which would have been several days' work. He took a risk. It could have been a trap. He didn't know the man. He could have been beaten, robbed, or killed. He saw the man as a fellow human being, not as a stranger, not as an ethnic enemy. He didn't turn away, didn't pass by, and he acted with, with compassion and mercy. You know, all around us every day, there are people with needs that we can address. There are things that we can do. We can listen to a, a lonely person. We can lift up someone who's hurting. We can pray for a neighbor who's going through a hard time. We can help someone. We can watch their children. We can go the extra mile for them. And we can serve even those who are not like us. Maybe those that we don't naturally connect with or even like. We can serve those who, quote, don't deserve it. Because that's the attitude that Jesus Christ had. Of all who have ever lived, 
No one has ever loved more completely and more totally than Jesus Christ. No one has ever served more selflessly or non-discriminately than Jesus Christ. Time and time again through Scripture, through his life and through his actions, Jesus Christ showed that, that all people are individuals worth caring for, worth loving, in fact, worth giving his life for. All people are created in God's image. And we as his people are to use the resources with which we've been blessed, our time, our talent, our treasure, to serve them, to love them, to be a neighbor to them. But that will never, ever happen unless we take on the attitude of Jesus. Seeing people not as inconveniences, not as avenues to get what we want, not as risk, not as someone to be exploited, but rather seeing people as priceless creations of God the Father and seeing them through the eyes of Jesus.